Please open your Bibles in the third book of Moses, the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. If you haven't already, it's a pew Bible. If you're using those, the page number is 102. Leviticus 24, verses 1 through 9. Once again, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Thus says the living and life-giving Word of God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Outside of the veil of the testimony, in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps of the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. And you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it two-tenths of an ephah, and shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rolls, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each roll, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order, before the Lord continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute. Thus far the reading of God's word. Please bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mercy that you have given us, and, and this mercy is revealed in your revelation. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to open your word for your people and, and do so, Lord, in the context of corporate worship. And what a beautiful portrait we have in this passage of what is going on as we are together in the appointed time through the appointed means, through your appointed priest. Heavenly Father, bless us and may the words of my mouth once more be pleasant in your sights and the meditation of all our hearts. Also, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt weary of worship? So tired but so tired that you didn't want to come and be here where we are. Perhaps even today you abuse the snooze function in your smartphone or you're feeling quite tired and, and, and not motivated at all to come here and worship with your church. Or maybe as you were preparing to come to church, you did so in such a hurry that you couldn't find a time to grab a snack in your way out 
And that may be the very reason why an argument developed in the car in your way here. And here you are, both hungry and angry, or as they say, hangry, right? It could be that you messed up the lunch. I don't know, maybe the crock pot uh, burned, uh, the connection wasn't good, or the kids made an overwhelming mess that could only be compared to the landscape of the South after the so-called war of northern aggression, right? Perhaps right now you are anticipating the work that you have during this upcoming week, and you cannot wait for the pastor to be done with the sermon so that you can rush back home after having relieved your conscience and come here and sit, attend the evening service, receive the benediction, Sing some hymns. Perhaps uh, some among you, my dear children, are, are, would prefer to be playing rather than being here, being forced to sit still and, and pay attention to that man in the pulpit. And, I, and I, I can tell you, if the attraction is only that man in the pulpit, I don't blame you at all for feeling that way. Well, all of that. But the bottom line is when situations like that happen to us, it is fair and just to ask ourselves the following question. What in the world am I doing here? And I say this is a fair question because maybe that's what you believe, that you are just there sitting still, receiving some information that will help you um, to give glory to the Lord in your life. And then you give back to God some of what he has given to you in your offerings and you give him back some in your prayers and your hymns, you know, singing. You're doing all of that and, and that's a good thing and I'm glad you're doing that. But what our text displays for us through visible imagery is that what escapes our eyes as we are engaged in doing this very thing that we are doing now which is actively worshiping the living God. As in everything else, we are mostly caught by what our eyes can see, and we usually dismiss what we can't see. After all, we cannot uh, disregard the influence that our culture has in us, and we live in a very rationalistic environment that whatever we cannot explain is not of much value, but our religion centers upon mystery, doesn't it? The very incarnation of the living God is a mystery beyond a human comprehension. But indeed, here, right now where we are, there is indeed something mysterious, intangible, powerful, and glorious happening among us. And I hope that this sermon will reassure you that what you're doing here tonight and what you did here this morning and Lord's Day after Lord's Day is of eternal significance. Our text, in other words, is a showcase for the beauty of the book of Leviticus. And, and this is why this book goes backstage and it shows us that which escapes the eye. An informed reading of the book of Leviticus is like getting an inspired tour through the atonement factory, if you will. It lets you glimpse how despicable sinners are brought back to fellowship with the living God. 
and do that and does that in bloody living colors. We see that death indeed is the wage of sin, but also the way to life in the presence of God. Well, I think a fitting illustration for the book of Leviticus is, is I remember when, when I was a kid, I'm still not good at guitars. I like it. I know how to play, but very basic things. I have always enjoyed guitars, both electronic and, and acoustics. And I remember there was a day that I was taken to pay a visit to one of the factories that was in my hometown. And, and although that experience of seeing the backstage did not change the sound that the instrument makes in my ears, seeing the amount of work and the beauty of the artistic development of that instrument uh, gave me undoubtedly a renewed appreciation for guitars. And in the same way, this text is not going to change how you see and experience worship in a sense, but by looking behind the scenes, if you will, uh, that when we worship God in His appointed way among His appointed people, week in and week out, this will give you a renewed apprehension, appreciation, I'm sorry, for what we are currently doing at the moment. And I trust that you will have renewed faith, encouragement to come to the Lord's house. A renewed enthusiasm in saying with your forefather David, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So now let me step back a little bit and give you some more contextual information to make sure that you are equipped to see what I see in this text so clearly. The book of Leviticus, the congregation, starts with the purpose of dealing with the crisis that we were left off by the end of the book of Exodus. I want you to remember that by the words of Yahweh, the Lord Himself, the purpose of the Exodus was, Exodus 4.23, Let my son Israel go so that they may worship me or serve me in some translations. Thus, the purpose of the Exodus was to enable God's people to worship Him. Therefore, a significant portion of the book of Exodus circles around the tabernacle. Instructions about it, the beauty of it, and finally the conclusion of the beauty. That top tabernacle would function as a tent of meeting between God and His Son Israel, and that through the mediation of the priests. But then in Exodus 40, the last chapter, verse 35, we read, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, if Moses himself, the mediator of the Old Covenant, could not enter into the tent of meeting, there was not much hope for anyone else to do so. So how could the tabernacle then function as a tent of meeting between God and His people so that they may worship Him? Well, in a sense, what we have in the book of Leviticus as a whole is a very long and detailed answer to this very 
question. And then we read of sacrifices as means to approaching God and how they were to be presented. We have the appointed priests to present the sacrifices. And here in our text, after a series of laws to enable an unholy people to become holy and like God and worship Him, we have a scene that was to happen every Sabbath as the people would worship Yahweh. And it teaches us, Christians, God's people of the new covenant administration of the one covenant of grace, what is happening right now and right here as we worship the Lord in the Christian Sabbath, or as it is called, the Lord's Day. And here is a sentence, after all this introduction, that would function as a summary form of this whole message. When God's people gather to worship Him, He blesses them with His special presence through His appointed priest. When God's people gather to worship Him, He blesses them with His special presence through His appointed priest. And there you have the three points that you have in your bulletins. God's chosen people, God's special presence, and God's appointed priests. Let's start off. And, and, and these three points, they form what I call the 3D worship, a 3D picture of what is happening as we worship the living God. Let us analyze then the first dimension of this picture. God's chosen people, verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, And you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. Well, here we have what I think it is a very straightforward connection between the loaves of bread and the tribes of Israel. I mean, 12. What in the world would mean 12 to the 12 tribes of Israel? And, and, and even the arrangement, that is a more subtle connection, but very clear connection too. Even the arrangements of the bread would point to the idea of the people being represented there. Uh, see verse 6 here. You shall set them in two rows. Six in a row on the pure gold table before the Lord. Um, the organization of the bread in two rows would resemble how the people would be represented in the priestly garments that the priest that was doing this would wear. You, he would have two stones in his garments. And in each stone that was placed side by side, you would have the names of six Tribe is just like the breads were organized. And you read about that in the book of Exodus, chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. And you see that 12 was such a relevant number to signify the idea of the people of God. And then Jesus Christ, the true Israel, the true Son of God came. How many apostles did He call to form the basis and foundation of His new Israel? Twelve. The culminating image that we have for the for God's people with the number 12 is in the description of the new Jerusalem and you see there that the new Jerusalem would have 12 gates each gate with the name of one of the tribes and in the wall of the city there would there would be 12 foundations with the names of the apostles so we see here God's chosen people represented here both in old and new covenant in the loaves of bread and let us find the last piece of information which concerns with what these people would be doing in verse 7. 
And you shall put pure frankincense on each roll, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The commentator Gordon Wenham makes a compelling case in his commentary here that this offering is a modification of the grain offering from Leviticus 2. I do not have the time to go through all the details here, but what this offering entails is a people recognizing the dominion of a king over them. And even the incense here represents the whole dedication of someone to a recognized king. And as you ponder upon the first dimension of this picture, God's chosen people, you are contemplating the ideal of the unified body together, worshiping the living God as one. And this should remind you that as we gather together to worship the Lord, we are more beautiful than we are worshiping the Lord alone. Our gathering, our individuality pales in comparison with the beauty that we display in worshiping the Lord as the one people of God. This is a beautiful reminder for us of the New Testament teaching that alone we are members, but together we are the body of Christ. This should remind you that as the poet said, no man is an island and what you do have an influence among, on your brothers around you. Here we have a perfect picture that all of us being willing and ready to worship the living God as one people in spirit and truth. And what, we are what are we doing in worship if it is not showing that we are willing to dedicate our entire, life, our entire lives as pure frankincense to our God. After all, God's people, apart from Him, everything is sinking sand. All is vapor. And He is the one who gives meaning to the meaningless and life to the dead. Are you dedicating your whole existence to the Lord? Are you living with that as your principle? Maybe your energy, your time, your thoughts. My dear brethren, where are your priorities? What are you doing with your money? I had a, a ruling elder in my home congregation that would say that the last part of a man that gets converted is his wallet. What are you doing with your money? That reveals where your priorities are. Are you seeking and laboring for the unity of the body as the ideal is displayed here? Or are you gossiping? Or are you not loving your brethren? You know, there are seven Things that the Lord hates, and one of them is the one who spreads gossip. And here we have the first dimension of the picture that this text presents us, God's chosen people. Let's take a look at the second dimension in verses 1 and 2, God's special presence. You see here, the lamps or the lampstand, depending on your translation. This imagery breaks out in at, into at least three parts and I'm going to analyze them quite briefly 
already noting to you that the emphasis is on the last one. Well, in Exodus 25, verses 31 through 40, you have the instructions and description about the lampstand. And there you see very clearly that it should resemble a tree. Therefore, understanding that everything in the tabernacle is meant to reverse the curse that sin brought into the world. In other words, bringing people back to God. Remember, the tabernacle was supposed to be a tent of meeting. This comprehension aids your understanding of this portion of Scripture immensely. With that in mind, what tree do you think that the Israelites would think and remember if they ponder upon a time of unparalleled fellowship with God? And the answer is the tree, the tree of life. And who is life if not God himself? God is life and therefore life is the immediate result of having fellowship with him, of meeting with God. This is why the wages of sin are death. Because it breaks our fellowship with God, who is himself life. Second, in the lampstand, you have the pure oil that was used here to keep the light burning, the fire burning. It would be the fuel that would keep it alive. And especially in the Old Testament, you will see that the oil was commonly used to refer to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Even though we don't have so clear Trinitarian statements in the Old Testament, you see that the Spirit of the Lord is usually identified with oil. And the vision, for instance, in Zechariah 4 is very neat for us to see that because there the Spirit inspired the prophet to associate the oil coming from the olive tree with the lampstand that we have in our passage and then the prophet was in dismay and he asked the angel, what in the world is this? And the angel responds to him in Zechariah 4, don't you understand? Neither by power nor might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Third, you have the fire itself. But not the fire considering in and of itself, but the light that the fire produces and this is the pro prominent imagery here light very clearly symbolizes the blessing of god see of the benediction by the end of this service his shalom his peace and here we have god's glorious action of giving life through his spirit what a beautiful image we have in front of us have you ever thought about the richness of what happens when we are doing right now, worshiping the living God. Have you ever thought of it in such a vivid way? This is part of the beauty of the Old Testament and especially of the book of Leviticus. It gives us what is spiritual in such tangible ways. This is a very clear picture of the Aaronic blessing with which we will finish up this service in number six. 24 through 26. This is what we mean when we say that God is present in a special way during the worship service. Because God uses means. And the worship service is His, namely God's, not only 
times and method to bless His people with His life, with His Spirit, with power to the glory of His name and the good of His beloved people. But, but a fair question that you may have now is, isn't God present everywhere? What do you mean by God's special presence? And this is a very good question indeed. He is present everywhere. And I'm not under the illusion that I will remove all layers of, of mystery from the Bible as I'm, as I'm telling and proclaiming its glorious truth. That will be blasphemous for mine and idle curiosity to say the least. A finite mind cannot comprehend an infinite God entirely. But let me remind you of the language that Scripture itself uses to refer to the presence of God. There is a language in the Bible of us drawing near to God, isn't it? And still He is everywhere. Let me remind you, Exodus 33 verse 15. When Moses himself, after the episode of the golden calf, is pleading for the people with the Lord. And he says, Lord, if your presence do not go with us, do not bring us from here. What does he mean? The concept of special presence. This language, therefore, is not concerned with a geographical movement on the part of God. For he is everywhere. He is immense. It is, however, related to the form in which we experience the presence of the Lord. Imagine, little children, that you were left alone in a park at Walmart or Costco or whatever place you can imagine that you would be surrounded by people all the time. Think about a place like that. At every turn you would see someone going back and forth. But if you didn't have your parents with you, you would still feel quite lonely, wouldn't you? This is how we ought to understand the language of the special presence to God. As it relates to how we experience His presence. And I am positive that anyone who has any sense whatsoever wants to experience the presence of God. And have His favor and blessing. And thus we return to church. Every Lord's Day. And, and this is not mystical or esoterical from my part. It is biblical. I'm not limiting the blessings of God uh, to a place and time. But I'm telling you that the God who is faithful has promised and shown in our passage that His special presence would be among His people in His appointed place and time. Every Sabbath, continually, continually. Continually, continually. So when you come to worship, expect to be blessed. This is why God designed worship in the first place. God, see what He does. He calls us to His presence. And this is for the reinforcement for how we, why we worship the way we do. He calls us into His presence. Assuring us of His pardon. He consecrates us by His Word and Spirit. He communes with us at His table. And then He finally commissions us and bless us to be who we are in Christ. Salt and light of the earth. 
And the concept of blessing the Bible, dear congregation, is not merely having a new sports car in your garage every other year or having plenty of real estate or what have you. The concept of blessing in the Scripture is an enabling from the Lord so that you may live in light of your mission on earth. You see that very clearly in the creation account in the very first, first chapters of the Scripture. And God created such and such and He blessed them. And He said, do this and this, be fruitful and multiply. And He blessed it. So it's God's enabling you to live in light of your mission on earth. Therefore, come to worship and expect to be blessed in this way. Come to be changed. None of us are perfect in this side of glory. And the Lord uses ordinary, the ordinary means of grace to change us. So be prepared, willing, and ready to change, to be sanctified. Come to commune with the living God. Remember this morning's sermon. Do you love Him? Come, therefore, to meet with Him. And commune with Him. Having come thus far, another question could be asked. How can we, sinful people, as we meet with the Lord in our tent of meeting of church, if you will, how can we not be consumed by this God who is holy, perfect, and hates sin? And as we had, as I saw some, some heads nodding in recognition of that, as we have not recognized Him in everything that we do as our King and we have sinned against Him, we have not obeyed Him perfectly. Rather, we have challenged His dominion in our lives both by omission and commission. And also we know that there is no place that we can hide from Him. Psalm 139, He is everywhere. And this question is what will bring us to the final dimension of this picture that our text has for us. God's chosen people first, God's special presence, and now God's appointed priest. Verses 3, 4, 8, and 9. Throughout this text, the priest is everywhere. Aaron is the only one appointed to perform the duties of mediating God's blessing to the people. Therefore, what we are learning here is that the only way we can enjoy the blessing of the Lord is through His appointed priest. You see Aaron arranging the lamps, verses 3 and 4. You see him making sure week in and week out that the bread is fresh. The whole mission of the priesthood was to mediate the blessing of God unto his people. And I won't spend much time describing the appearance of the holy place in the tabernacle for you. Uh, but I need to tell you at least a little bit of it. Because this is the scene where our text will take place every week. Not in the holiest place, but in the between. In the holy place. Imagine that you were a priest. And you were entering the place to perform your weekly duties as is described here in our text. The table with the bread would be on your side, one side. And the lampstand would be on the other side. 
Very importantly to understand, one facing the other. Okay? The reason this background information is very important is about because we read in Numbers 8, we read a little bit more. There is a little bit more instruction for Aaron here. And there is a particular instruction there in the first verses of chapter 8 of Numbers that Aaron received this specific direction to make sure that the light that results from the fire is shining upon the bread. He has the command to make sure that the light is always shining forward where the bread is. So the priest was responsible for doing all these things and mediating the blessings from God to the people. This is how these two elements of God's chosen people and God's special presence are knit together through the appointed priest. Here we have, through the mediation of the priest, the shining of divine countenance blessing his chosen people. That's why I said we have here a picture of number six and the blessing from Aaron. Here we have how and why the light of God's presence would give the people light, life, peace, and power from the Spirit, ultimately resulting in salvation. What a picture. It jumps off the pages like a 3D picture. Indeed, it is a picture of the goal of your existence. To bask in God's countenance. His shining countenance. And by that, be empowered to live out new life. The resurrection life He has given us. It is the way to be born from above. And not only that, but week in and week out, continually to keep growing. And as you grow continually, you grow to the point that you are going to start to exercise your heavenly citizenship as one who was born from above. It is the way for us to be strengthened as we await for the city whose builder and maker is God, like our father Abraham. And now us as New Covenant believers, having the full disclosure of God's revelation, we know precisely whose priesthood is ultimate in mediating God's presence among us, don't we? The priesthood of which Aaron's was but a shadow. Christ's priesthood, the substance, which according to our catechism, the shorter one, the children's one, Christ exercises the office of a priest in offering up himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, to reconcile us to God, and in making continual continual intercession for us. As a priest, the Lord Jesus Christ began His ministry at the age of 30. In His baptism, He was baptized with the true oil of the Spirit Himself in that above measure. His whole life was dedicated to the Father as His King, as the pure frankincense. 
Indeed, in him the Father was well pleased. Matthew 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3. He was perfectly obedient and fully dedicated to the Father, even to the point of death and death in a cross. Philippians 2. He does not need to make a continual arrangement for his sacrifice was once and for all. And in his resurrection, he was declared a priest forever. Hebrews 7, 16 and 17. And then he ascended to heaven where he intercedes for us continually. Just like Aaron's duties in our text here were to be done continually. Hebrews 7. 25. And there in heaven, he is the God-man, human flesh, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the perfect, spotless, and merciful high priest that we all so desperately need. The one who is the propitiation for our sins, constantly directing the light of divine countenance and blessing to us, not to burn us, but to heal us. For in his wounds we are healed. And this is why the book of Hebrews is mainly about showing why Christ's priesthood is superior. And as a corollary truth, as a side truth that comes with that, the book of Hebrews also emphasizes that as a consequence of the superiority of Christ's priesthood, the neglect of such glorious Eternal and supreme gift of worship is much worse now in the new covenant than it was before. It is more dangerous to neglect because the greatness of the gift that we have of worship now than it was before. Are you neglecting it are you really here? Do you come with joy, preparation, diligence in prayer? Come and worship Him. Magnify His name from a sincere heart which is pleasing to the Lord. Pour yourself out in praises and prayers. Ascend the heavenly places with Him, your faithful, powerful, glorious, good, eternal, humble, compassionate High Priest. And then go forth from these doors of our church as lights to the world, shining back the glory of the divine countenance and that upward. How? So that the people as they see your good works, they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5. And the more you are exposed to the blessed light of God's countenance in the public worship, the more you will be equipped to do such a thing. Then why wouldn't you come? That's my question for you. This is the only fitting place to prepare you for eternity. And we prepare for so many things. Why wouldn't we prepare for eternity? Everything else will cease but corporate worship. Have you thought about that? Are you in Christ? And that's perhaps 
a more fundamental question. Do you believe in Him and in Him alone for your salvation? Can you see that the only way for this God to be your God and therefore for His presence to result in your blessed blessing is through His appointed priest, the Lord Jesus Christ? Therefore, if you are not in Him, I am sorry to inform you that this picture is not for you. It does not matter how young or how old you are. You need this Christ as your priest. Is He it? Let me assure you that if you hear His voice speaking through this message, do not delay and go to Him. He will not reject a contrite heart. He is, as our brother well put, a compassionate Savior. If you are genuinely repented, it is also my privilege to tell you this evening, there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abundant forgiveness, for He is able to save you to the uttermost. He already paid for the eternal feast in the heavenly places. And the only thing that you have to do is come. Come to Him. May your life from this day onwards be but a prelude to glory. Everlasting, unending glory. And to you, Christian, let me go back to that question with which we started. Are you weary of worship? This temptation will come to you. When that happens, I plead with you to remember this message, this text, this 3D picture. Even if you are not feeling like coming, come. Maybe the devil will whisper in your ear when you're not feeling like coming. Well, you shouldn't go. If you go without wanting to go, you're just going to be a hypocrite. Why would you go? Just stay at home. Chill a bit. No. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't listen to the world and its distractions. It is okay to come empty to be filled. It is very appropriate. It is okay and appropriate to come hungry to be fed to come thirsty, to be refreshed. It is okay, inappropriate to do so. The Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, was designed precisely for that as a divine oasis for tired pilgrims on the way. And what a gift. When God's chosen people gather to worship Him, He blesses them with His special presence through His appointed priest. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, what a blessing we have. To now, Lord, be aware of the backstage of the dynamics of Your redemption. Oh Lord, You have given so much to us. Why would You Keep going with curiosities or meaningless questions and fables and all of that 
nonsense inquiry. You have given us so much in your word. What an endless well of wisdom and encouragement and challenge. And oh Lord, may we be acquainted with who we are as we contemplate you and your son, immaculate, sinless savior and priest of your people. Oh Lord, may he rule over our hearts as never before as our king. Oh Lord, he revealed to us so much the will of God for our salvation tonight. And He has made it possible by His once-for-all sacrifice. What a priest. What a one to mediate divine blessings to human beings. The one who is the God-man. What a mystery. What a wonder. And it is in the name of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.